0: to the Ninja Lane podcast. In this episode, we talk about some of the rumors with next generation console hardware. We look at the new hardware-bought Alchemark 3 benchmark wrapper, and we have a special interview with EVGA's Jacob Freeman. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McCain. I understand you want to talk about next generation consoles for some reason or another.
1: You know, I do. There is some really great news, or, well, rather rumor, out there about the latest consoles. Some of the speculation is the hardware specifications. Well,
0: we like hardware here, so (laughs) what have we got here?
1: Well, it's even more interesting than that, because it turns out that both the new PlayStation 4, which is codenamed Orbis, and the Xbox 720, which is codenamed NEXT, have a hardware list that looks an awful lot like a mid-range gaming PC.
0: Imagine that. You know, the original Xbox looked a lot like a mid-range gaming PC.
1: Yeah, and the old PlayStation 3 kind of threw all that caution to the wind when it came out with the crazy multi-core technology.
0: And... Yeah, that cell processor of doom. and
1: Exactly. Now, you know that I am a big fan of the PlayStation 3 use it for a lot of things. And I never did pick up the last Xbox. I do have
0: a 360 and I had the original Xbox. I'm going to say it has more dust on it than, you know, (laughs) most everything else in my house.
1: And I tend to use my PlayStation 3 as more of a multimedia box than a gaming box most weeks, but it gets used nearly daily. So it's exciting. And the rumor mill is saying that PlayStation is going to beat... Xbox at least to the punch and announce it maybe February 20th, which could be about the time you're listening to this.
0: So what are they saying about the PlayStation 4 that's so exciting that we can't just wait?
1: Well, since we're a hardware site, I thought it would be fun to kind of roll through the rumored hardware and just kind of talk about where that positions it and some of the strengths and weaknesses and and just in general, uh, why there's a convergence between console hardware and pc hardware and what that might mean to us as gamers
0: right well you know i've kind of looked over the spec sheet a little bit and i can see where you're going so let's let's get into it
1: i am looking at a great batch of rumored hardware and well (laughs) maybe the most interesting thing is it would appear that microsoft and sony either on purpose or through some sheer coincidence, have both chosen what appears to be the same AMD processor, at least on paper.
0: Well, it's the 8-core AMD Fusion-style CPU that they've been touting everywhere, right?
1: Yeah, it is. And it looks like they both have chosen what appears to be a 1.6 speed of this particular processor.
0: Well, as we know, more cores is actually better than a faster core speed.
1: That's true, too, especially with... Uh, you know, a set video game when you can program specifically what each thread's going to do. So there's a big advantage to that in the console world because we'll end up with multi-threaded games from the get-go.
0: Well, yeah, you'll get multi-threaded games and you'll include things like physics processing and you can dedicate two cores to the game and maybe four cores to the physics processing Mm -hmm. and you're not going to have any slowdown. Whereas on a PC, you're going to have to dedicate like an entire video card to physics processing.
1: Well, that's maybe where things are most interesting, because a 1.68 8-core CPU is right kind of in the dead center of at least the GPU speed, but with 8 cores, it's ahead of where most gaming PCs are today. And the biggest reason for that is most games are not multi-threaded on the PC, or really anywhere. Well, we can thank consoles for that, I think. Yeah, we can. And that's a good point to make fairly early on in this discussion, is a lot of the games the biggest complaint of PC users, are designed to be ported or designed specifically with Xbox and or PlayStation 3 in mind when they're designed and built.
0: If AMD has supplied processors to both PlayStation and Xbox, how's that going to make an advantage to the game developer?
1: Well, it does, at least on the surface. Again, if rumors (laughs) can be believed, make it very easy for you to port games across, which hasn't been true in the past. In fact, most designers would tell you that designing for the Xbox has been much easier, or at least it was initially. Now I think they're kind of used to both systems. I mean, it's been five or six years. Yeah.
0: Well, the big advantage of the Xbox was that you could use the Windows libraries to develop your games, mm -hmm. so then it could be ported to the PC rather easily.
1: Well, and the difference between DirectX on the Xbox and the OpenGL on the PlayStation 3 kind of led to you having to think of both specifically and I should point out that there is a third console of course in the console war every generation and that's the Wii <laughs> and they released their Wii U which you know doesn't no, can. seem to be getting a lot of fanfare but it also uses an AMD processor so in this generation at least AMD wins across the board
0: yep yeah. now in the past we had uh like the original Xbox it was Intel CPU and an NVIDIA GPU. Uh-huh. Now, what's the GPUs that are going to be in the PlayStation and the uh, the Xbox, according to the rumor mill?
1: Well, you know, you've already mentioned Fusion, which, of course, means that we have to have an AMD integrated solution. Yep. That's what Fusion means. And looking at the rumor mill, the PlayStation 4 is using what seems to be the 7970M Radeon.
0: That would be the mobile edition.
1: Yeah, the mobile edition, which makes sense because it uses less energy and requires less heat sink.
0: Yeah, I think the heat is probably the biggest Mm -hmm. driving factor there.
1: Well, especially since people know that some PlayStations have had problems with overheating in the past.
0: Well, Xbox too.
1: And Xbox has had (laughs) problems with everything overheating. Yeah, But, you know, it's not real common knowledge. So the difference between the M and the regular 7970 is uh, pretty negligible when it comes to mobile gaming. I mean, we're losing shaders, a little bit of memory, but the point being is that, you know, it is a current generation, at least at the moment, Radeon processor. Yeah. There's some speculation about what the Xbox 720 is running, too. Now, they haven't named a specific architecture. They mentioned a a core speed, and Mm -hmm.
0: what was it? The PlayStation 4 was at 850 megahertz, whereas the Xbox was at 800 megahertz. Uh huh. 800 megahertz. So that's a a pretty low clocked uh, 7970, which is where the M comes from, which Mm -hmm. might put it in the range of probably a 7850 ish.
1: And of course, that makes it very easy to jump to the conclusion that the PlayStation 3 is going to have much more dramatic hardware because it has that advantage. But there is another difference too in the way the memory is being handled. If again the rumors can be believed, the PlayStation 4 is looking at 8 gigs of RAM, but it's an integrated 8 gigs as opposed to a discrete 8 gigs in the Xbox 720. Oh, okay.
0: Well, basically that's going to be the difference of your video card using shared memory or having dedicated video memory. So mm-hmm. your CPU is going to have 8 gigs in the Xbox, whereas in the PlayStation you might have 8 gigs, but two of that might be dedicated to video processing.
1: Yeah, and that's where things get a little vague, because we're not really 100% certain how the memory is going to be used. We know that they're both supposed to be using DDR3, which is not a big surprise. Yeah,
0: now DDR3 for video is not ideal, as we know in the PC world.
1: Mm -hmm. Looking at at this, it's possible that the PlayStation 4, where we have a little more firm rumors, has 4 gigs of GDDR5 RAM, with 512 reserved for the operating system. Well,
0: (laughs) it seems a little hokey, but...
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of what if in that section. The nice thing about it is both systems should be able to use at least, I would say, DirectX 11, if not 11.1, right out of the box.
0: Well, definitely. The developers are going to be able to write games for both platforms with really virtually no changes between the two. Although, you know, if you look at some of the comments about this rumor mill, we have... A couple of people say, oh, well, the PlayStation 4 is going to be the faster console. Well, speaking from the mind of a developer, that doesn't really matter because we want to build a game that's going to work on all consoles and without a lot of code changes between the two. So we're going to be coding to the lowest common denominator, which might be the quote-unquote slowest one, the Xbox
1: 720. And that's the other really interesting thing about having both of them with, at least on paper in the rumor mill, (laughs) the same core processing speed because The common denominator may be the video in this case or the RAM. So we may end up with exactly the same code going to the slower, smaller video card and the slower, smaller way that the RAM is being utilized. Mm -hmm. And you might not see that other stuff being used except for exclusive titles that maybe tout higher texture packages or or something.
0: Something like you buy the game and then you download the high res package over DLC or something like that.
1: Also interesting, and there are a lot of specs out there, definitely worth a Google, is that both machines are going to be using, it looks like, a 6X Blu-ray drive.
0: Ooh, that'll be a first.
1: Very much so. And I mean, that's going to be a lot faster than the PlayStation 3. And the PlayStation 3, that's been my major complaint about it, is just the boot times and the initial startup of a disc are a little bit slow because it was a very early Blu-ray design.
0: (laughs) That's not necessarily limited to the PlayStation 3. You know, I mm-hmm. I bought a couple of Blu-rays for the house, and the cheaper one, it takes about two minutes for it to start up a movie, whereas the more expensive one that I spent, you know, an extra hundred bucks <laughs> on, it almost starts instantly, and it's, it's all based on the processor that they use to read the disc. I seem to remember that... That was why you wanted me to buy a PlayStation three. It was just for the awesome Blu ray experience.
1: Yeah, very nice. Well and you have a pretty nice home theater system, so it seems a shame to not have a nice high resolution video feed. Yeah, and that
0: that is actually still where I'm lacking. <laughs> oh no. It'll it'll get there soon though.
1: Well, you know, you can get a Blu-ray player now for around $50, so you kind of have no excuse.
0: Well, yeah, I don't have an excuse, except I have my eye on this one. It's about $500 Ah. with some pretty awesome rockin' audio decoding and a really cool chip for the
1: video processing. so. So to segue a little bit out of this discussion, I should point out that there is a lot of talk about whether the console market is already dead. And an example of this is the wii u sales specs now the wii u isn't what i would necessarily consider the highlight of technology
0: (laughs) no not in the least
1: (laughs) but they did some innovative stuff and it is a, a leap forward finally for the nintendo folks
0: right now i looked at the wii u a little bit and it looked like a combination between the original wii and a tablet
1: now the interesting thing about it is they've chosen once again. A little bit of a gimmicky process where they've added what, well, for all purposes, is a remote tablet. Yeah. A a
0: remote gaming console. So mm -hmm. you can take the game with you and you don't have to play in front of the television.
1: Uh, Yeah, but to a very limited degree. And the PlayStation 3 will do this, which is not real common knowledge, if you have a PS3 matched to a PS Vita, for example, their portable device, or the old PSP. Mm Mm-hmm. And not very many people, myself included, use that. It's not exactly the most glamorous thing to hang your head on, and it's shown in the sales.
0: Right. Now, in terms of like the gaming market in general, we have really three, three things to look at. We have the console market, which has been strong for years, but mm-hmm. it's kind of declining, partially because we don't
1: have any new gaming
0: hardware out. All the games are somewhat old.
1: And I should point out that this is probably the first time that we have started by saying is the console dead after many years of console players saying PC gaming is dead.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that and part of that is due to mobile gaming, which is like your tablets and your phones. Let's face it, you're not going to be playing Gears of War on a tablet. That's <laughs> not, really not the type of game for that sort of a market.
1: Not soon enough. Although the Surface Pro may get us closer.
0: Well, true. But that is more of a PC than an actual mobile tablet. That's true. And then you get into the PC gaming market, which has been struggling for years because of developers building their games for consoles and not for PCs. Well, Crytek's kind of changed that a little bit. They have different code sets now. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that going forward, game developers start thinking in that regard, where they have the basic game, and then they have the PC version and then a console version.
1: But if the two new consoles can be believed in the rumor mill, it may be much easier to do that.
0: Well, for a few years at least. Mm -hmm.
1: Now remember that in the past, one of the reasons that people said that console gaming was killing PC gaming was because that same lower common denominator and the household penetration and the ability to play and design on a single set of hardware that didn't translate very easily into the PC. And so what happened? Well, Sony and Microsoft would put out the exclusives and they'd never port them to PC. That's true. So they had sort of a captive audience with some arguably great games. Maybe some of the best games that have ever come out have been locked in. And Gears of War is a great example. There have been games like it on the pc some great driving games like the gran turismo but they just didn't translate forenza on the xbox is another great example project gotham i mean there you can go on and on and on with flagship games that never made it to pc because there was just no reason to port them over but if the hardware really is the same at the root an x86 architecture Mm -hmm. then with a fairly shall we say modern architecture to back it up across the board you could build that same game and it would run on a PC maybe without even a separate compiler or at least a major compile difference. Well,
0: no, if it's all x86, the code base is going to be the same. The difference would be the optimizations because for the console, they're going (laughs) to optimize it for the graphics and the CPU, the way it's working. But you can't do that on an actual PC, but you can download it as a patch.
1: I've long thought that there was a huge market for, some of these third-party developers, and let's use Atari as an example because they recently went bankrupt, (laughs) to allow their games to be put out as an emulator, even on mobile devices. So again, coming back to where we started, we really, I think, are seeing a convergence of the technology where consoles are becoming more PC-like, PCs are acting more console-like, And they're all sort of looking at the mobile market, which, thanks to things like the next generation Surface, are now looking more PC-like as well.
0: (laughs) Well, the one common thread in all that is that everything is trying to be a PC, but nobody wants a PC for some reason.
1: Are we seeing, thanks to the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox 720 and other devices, the PC coming back to the living room?
0: That's a good question. We should have our listeners right in. (laughs)
1: That's right. So maybe you're looking forward to a PlayStation 4 like I am, or an Xbox 720, which might make my list this generation. Or maybe you're looking for something like a Steam box or a home theater PC as your gaming device. The big question is, do you think that console gaming is dead? Or is PC gaming and console gaming really merging back together? Let us know. Dennis, it's been a while since we've had a hardware bot update. Any news on that front? Oh, quite a bit of news, actually.
0: They have released a new wrapper for Aquamark 3. Ooh,
1: a new wrapper. That sounds very 50 cent. What does that mean exactly?
0: (laughs) Well, to run Aquamark 3, you had to run this little game benchmark, and then you had to make a screenshot for Winth in the game, and then bring that into your desktop after you closed it, and then create another screenshot for submissions. Awesome. Yeah, a big pain in the butt, let me tell you. And it didn't really work too well with Vista. It didn't work well with Windows 7. You had to change some settings, and yeah, it was a big mess. The biggest mess, though, was all of that manipulation introduced errors and also a little bit of cheating here and there. oh So the wrapper that HardwareBot has created is the new official way to submit Aquamark scores to be ranked and the way it works is that you install this new benchmark it installs the traditional aquamark benchmark that runs and then it will capture the scores and then save it in a nice little format so then you create your screenshot and submit online and at that point it will submit all your scores all of the different variables that need to be there i believe there's a checksum that goes along with it to make sure it's not tampered with okay and then your score will be ranked
1: is this Aquamark 3 new or just the wrapper new?
0: The wrapper is new. The benchmark is one of the first ones, I believe, that they started running after
1: some of the 2D stuff. So if what I'm hearing is correct. It sounds like this has got a lot of huge advantages because we're eliminating human error. We're making cool. the submission process easier. Yep. And we're eliminating cheating, which is always a big, big plus.
0: Well, I'm not going to say it's eliminating cheating because I'm sure somebody's going to figure out a way to around it to interject (laughs) some of their own uh, numbers before the screenshot is done. But it's going to reduce it immensely.
1: Well, there's always a way to do that sort of stuff if you want it bad enough.
0: Now, this isn't the first wrapper that HardwareBot has released. It's not actually the first benchmark that they've released either. When the Heaven benchmark came out, that was a DirectX 11, DirectX 9 benchmark. Our robot worked on a wrapper for that so that it basically does the same thing. It's all self-contained. So when you install it, you have the option to install GPU-Z and CPU-Z. You can run the benchmark. It saves your score. And then when you do your online submission, it gives you this file that you upload to HardwareBot. And that's their little API. It decompiles that, puts the picture, the screenshot picture out there, and all fills in all the numbers. So you just fill in the hardware and hit
1: submit. Well, it sounds like they are really making an effort to consolidate and move from being a little bit more of a hobbyist site to being a lot more of an official overclocking organization.
0: Yeah, I think that's really what they're after. The first step of that is maintaining everything that your community uses. Before, it was you know, using a benchmark form, uh, Extreme Systems, which was SuperPi. Right. And then you had the 3 d Mark benchmarks, which were released from FutureMark, but FutureMark has their own way of capturing the scores and everything and a way to validate uh-huh. the scores.
1: Yeah, they have their own website.
0: And when you submit a 3 d Mark score on HardwareBot, you can submit a validation URL so that you can verify that what you posted there is actually what FutureMark sees.
1: You know, this is kind of what happens to a lot of sports out there. You know... To get that growth and that consistency, you really have to have a, a consistent, stable, ruling body, or at least a, you know, <laughs> like a referee to keep everybody on the up and up. So it sounds like you know this is a huge stride in getting to that level, which will help to make it so overclocking has a little more legitimacy and a lot more structure.
0: And a little bit more support from the manufacturers that are building hardware for us. For instance, the latest challenge that HardwareBot is hosting, as of this recording, is the 3 d Mark challenge, sponsored by MSI, where you have to have some pretty specific hardware, MSI Z77, to enter, and you win a Z77. So, those things aside, and, you know, the marketing aspects of it, MSI is supporting FutureMark and supporting HardwareBot, giving some great hardware back for your efforts.
1: And supporting overclocking as a whole. In this next segment, we have a Ninja Lane podcast exclusive. Dennis, what do we have?
0: We have a special interview with EVGA's Jacob Freeman over Skype.
1: Well, let's check it out.
0: So, hello, Jacob. Welcome to the Ninja Lane podcast. Could you introduce yourself?
2: Sure. And uh, thanks for having me. My name is Jacob Freeman, and I am a product manager at EVGA.
0: Cool. So, how long have you worked for EVGA? It's been um, a little over seven years now. Wow, that's quite a long time. Based on our discussions at the various trade shows, I understand you're quite the hardware enthusiast. What can you tell me about your main rig? (laughs) So, yeah, I am a
2: hardware enthusiast, and I uh, upgrade quite often. Right now, I have a Z77 uh, FTW motherboard with a 3770K. A long, long time ago, I got a um, a single-stage phase change cooler off of... uh, A guy from Extreme Systems used to build them many years ago, and so I've still been running that, and it still runs pretty good.
0: Have you uh, overclocked that thing then? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the the CPU is a pretty good one. It does about 5.4 gigahertz. Nice. So as we all know, the single-stage phase chillers bring your CPU down below zero. Uh, Mm -hmm. Did you have to do any special setup to get that thing to run?
2: Yeah, you uh, mainly just want to make sure that the CPU is well insulated so that, you know, you don't get any um, air basically getting into the CPU socket where it could cause condensation. So you have to kind of take some extra measures there to um, use foam. And actually, I use, I, I now I use rubber eraser, which is kind of acts in the same way. It just blocks off all the little holes to keep
0: the air out of the socket. Yeah, spoken like a true enthusiast. <laughs> So are you a gamer as well? Yeah. So what uh, what's your favorite type of game? Uh, I would have to say first-person shooters. Yeah, same here. So any titles you've been playing lately?
2: Well, I beat Far Cry 3 recently. And um, although it's not a first-person shooter, I also beat Hit- Hitman Absolution. I'm a pretty big Hitman fan from all the way back from Hitman 1. And uh, so uh, I beat Hitman Absolution, and uh, the Crisis 3 beta just came out, so I've been kind of uh, messing around with that one a bit too.
0: Yeah, I just downloaded that one myself, going to give it a shot. As I've mentioned in several other podcasts, I've been uh, playing a lot of Borderlands 2. Have you played that game yet? Oh yeah, yeah, Borderlands 2. So you got uh, you have a level 50 yet? No, <laughs>
2: <laughs> not quite to that level, but uh, I did play a lot of Borderlands 2. I haven't touched it in, uh, in a while, but I think I should get back and do
0: it now. We'll have to go raiding one of these days. So, yeah. Well, the reason I asked you to be on the podcast is I wanted to hear more about the X79 motherboard that you were showing at CS, the X79 Dark. What can you tell me about that?
2: Yep. Yeah, so the X79 Dark uh, motherboard is a brand new well, X79 platform from EVGA. And uh, the basic idea on this one is we launched our X79 lineup uh, a while back, about a year or maybe actually more than that. And, it was one of
0: the first ones on the market, actually.
2: Yeah, we we launched it when the X79 platform launched, and you know that was quite some time ago. And the boards were okay, but they were missing some features that uh, some enthusiasts really wanted. Most notably was uh, the eight DIMM support, and uh, there was a lot of other things as well, like SATA 6G, uh, more SATA 6G ports, and um, various other little things here and there. So uh, what we uh, wanted to do was kind of. Redesign the entire board from the ground up and incorporate all of that and more into this board. You know, it has a brand new VRM that's much more efficient than the than the previous one. It has uh, more SATA 6G ports. It has eight DIMMs. It has a um, better optimized PCI Express layout, meaning that you can run four SLI in a standard EATX form factor. Previously, we had to do XLATX. And, um, you know, that just comes down to just laying out the board in the proper way. And, you know, because the socket size is so large that you really have to position things in a certain way to get everything to fit properly. So, you know, we really spent a lot of time to uh, try to find the best way to optimize that.
0: I have a picture of the board up right now, which I'll put in the show notes. I see you have more SATA 6 ports on there. You know, six of them come out of the the Southbridge or the MCP. So did you have to use another controller?
2: Yeah, we're using a, a Marvel controller
0: to uh, to get the other ones. You still have the standard PCI Express disables and binge top buttons and whatnot. Mm.
2: Yep, and uh, one thing that, that I can say that we are planning to have on this board is um, this may be uh, one of the first boards that will have a brand new EVGA BIOS, basically. A brand new GUI BIOS that we've been working on for some time, and uh, we hope we can make it in time for the launch of this board. So we're pretty excited about that one. We, we've been actually we've been uh, working on it for some time. Can't wait to to have it on the market.
0: Now the board that you were showing at CES has the um, the non-standard socket, so it doesn't have the threaded ports on it for the heatsink. And I just see four holes around the around the CPU socket. Was that on purpose, intentionally, or
2: yeah. actually we plan to include both brackets so you can use different types of coolers on the on the
0: CPU. Is it going to follow the, I hate to mention it, but the ASUS model where it has the threads under the board, or is it going to be on top like the standard X79? Um,
2: well, it'll it'll
0: have um, both the version that you saw and also the, thread, the standard version with the threads on top. Okay, great. In the past, most EVGA motherboards were designed to fit into one of three major hardware tiers. The LE and SLI boards were always at the bottom end, and the For the Wind FTW was in the middle, and then the Classified Edition was the flagship each board often catered to the intended usage. Mm-hmm. So where do you see the X79 dark fitting in this model? Uh, definitely the dark would sit in in this, uh, in the X79 lineup, it
2: would definitely fit above the classified version. But with that being said, it's not going to be unreasonably expensive, um, wanted to be reasonably priced, probably going to be
0: anywhere from 350 to 399 well, That's not too bad. Is there going to be a the kind of the standard set of included accessories like cables and stuff or are you including anything else it'll have the standard cable
2: accessories you know the sata cables and all that stuff the other thing that's included with it is um you can see it from the picture there but it's like a little cover that goes over the, it's 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 basically a cosmetic thing but it's a cover that goes over the io
0: uh, bracket uh, it just looks nicer <laughs> <laughs> yeah that will really clean up the board that's for sure
2: <laughs> yeah so that actually is not attached to the board it uh It kind of sits on the board, and then your uh, motherboard mounting screws go through that, and then it attaches to the chassis.
0: Oh, cool. So modders could get in there and put some lights behind it or something like that. Uh, I can't help but to notice the board is completely blacked out, and Mm -hmm. that's likely where the name came from. Is there a reason that you ditched the red expansion slots like on the previous X79?
2: We we wanted to kind of develop a, a new kind of level of... Motherboards and maybe graphics cards in the future, you know where we don't want to be like really gaudy with the colors and uh, be very kind of monotone and so it's the the goal was to have an all black board um, with maybe a little hint of red here and there and um, that's why we called it the dark. The thing about the colors is, you know, some people love it and some people don't and, you know, if your case is red, then it's really cool. But if your case isn't red,
0: then, you know, maybe it's not that great. So water cooling is a big part of the EVGA community, and you could just buy blocks off of the you know, other manufacturers and make blocks for them. Is there a plan to have um, a design for the X79 Dark? Well, we're not actively working on one at the moment, but that doesn't mean that we won't. Um,
2: if there is demand, then then we certainly will. Yeah, that, that one kind of remains to be seen. It doesn't, it, it's, it doesn't take us too long to design the block, so if we do see demand for it, then we can turn one around pretty quickly. We did one for the classified board, and that one did okay. So, you know, we may, may consider to do one here as well.
0: I've met with Vince, a.k.a. Kingpin, several times, and I understand that he's your in-house overclocker. Did he help EVGA in any of the aspects of the X79 Dark? Yep, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so just from your standard overclocking, or did he get in there and help with some of the design layout?
2: He certainly helped with the layout, but I would say more on the overclocking, and especially on the BIOS side uh making sure it has all the knobs that uh you know the extreme overclockers like vince vince need and uh, it's able to run uh stable at the very high end overclock settings as well
0: so he certainly assisted a lot with that you mentioned that the x79 dark was a completely new design are there any plans to refresh any of the other evg motherboards in the x79 lineup uh, not at the moment.
2: Uh, I can say that we are 100% focused on delivering this product. We don't have any active uh, designs for any other X79 boards at the at this particular moment. Well, we do have Haswell
0: on the way, so there's probably mm-hmm. a lot of effort into those boards.
2: Yep, and uh, you know, so we're focused on uh, the X79, X79 Dark as well as next-generation platforms at
0: the moment. Thanks for talking with me on the Ninja Lane podcast. This has been a great overview of the new X79 Dark that we should see on the market here pretty soon i'll have photos posted in the show notes and if any of our listeners have questions or want more information what's the best way for them to contact you
2: uh i would say probably the EVJ forums Uh, we are pretty active in our forums and you know if there's any questions that we're able to answer we uh,
0: certainly want to do that well great well i hope to have you again on the ninja lane podcast and yeah thank you very much no problem and have a good evening For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes. If you have questions, drop by the forums or email us at podcast at ninjalane.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Ninjalane by subscribing to our RSS, now available on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, or join us on Facebook. This has been a Ninjalane production, copyright 2013. Thanks for listening.